What's up, guys? Doug Polk here, and welcome back for another episode of the Doug Polk Podcast. Today, we are joined by a true legend of the live poker felt in the Southern California streets. We're going to be joined by Garrett Adelstein here in a moment. But before we do jump in and talk with him, I want to quickly let you guys know we actually had a great podcast with Alexandra Botez last week, a chess streamer. We talked about chess, poker, a little bit of crypto, all kinds of topics there. I'd recommend checking that out. And then next week, we're going to be joined by Brian Pellegrino. He's actually launching uh, Layer Zero, I believe it is called. I don't want to say the wrong thing here, but I might have. Uh, it's basically going to be uh, some cryptocurrency-based uh, topics as well as maybe a little bit of poker here and there but really we're going to talk about his project he's been working on to help try and solve some multi-chain issues in the crypto- cryptocurrency streets okay with that out of the way let's go ahead and introduce our guest today here we are joined by garrett allison garrett welcome to the pod man thank you appreciate you having me you know i've uh, been a longtime fan of yours and you know for you to sort of rise to the top of three different industries heads up um training uh poker training and content creation like you know, there's there's really nothing matched in our industry, so it's it's an honor just to be you know chatting with you today, and I'm sure we'll get into some really good shit. Some some very kind words, and and I also I just have to say I think you're in an interesting place in poker because there are not many people that I think have sort of this this mythical status in the mm-hmm. scene where they're just kind of they're just kind of there, and you know that they're there, and you know that they've been doing really well for a long time, but yet you know there's so much respect for, for you. And, and there's, it's, a, it's a small group of people that I really think like that. So uh, it's awesome to have you on here. I know a lot of people were really excited to hear what you had to say about a variety of topics uh, today. And, and it should, it should be a great one. Um, before we jump in and talk about some poker stuff, uh, I just wanted to kind of kick it off with a little bit of personal life things. So, you know, what, what have you been up to in the last several years? Obviously, you know, I, I've played a little bit with you at the bike, I think a couple of years back before mm-hmm. COVID. What, what have you been kind of up to day to day these days? Yeah, you know, um, poker, like the the last like five years has has more been sort of like a part time thing for me. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I've heard a lot of your words about sort of falling out of love with the game and whatnot. And I think that that's a big part of why I've still maintained a lot of interest and love for it is the part time nature, you know, of it for me. So I feel like for the first decade plus of my career, I really struggled to incorporate it in a healthy way. Um, and, and I've just been so fortunate and I think so few poker players are able to do this to really like say poker is definitely like a net benefit to, you know, an already fulfilling life, you know? So along those lines, you know, I've been with, uh, my fiance now nine years, but it was around the last four or five years where we really, um, have been in just this incredibly super solid, strong, healthy relationship. And I think that kind of goes hand in hand with a lot of my own, you know, personal developments. So on that note specifically, we're actually getting married um, in a week and a half on October 2nd. Uh, and so we have like a whole week of events for for all of our guests in Santa Barbara. So we're like on the final week, man. So I'm just kind of like floating in the clouds right now. Like I, I've just never had like a more blissful, peaceful time in my life. And so much of the logistics and there's a lot of it when you have a week of events have kind of been like ironed out now. So now we're just like cruise control and it's just a really, it's a really special time for me and a really great timing for us to do this interview. Um, Cause I just couldn't be in a better place right now. Well, congratulations, dude. That's, that's awesome to hear. I've heard uh, a little something about yourself. Uh, yes, similar, actually. Huh? So when you sent me a message, we were talking a little bit the other day and you said, uh, you're actually getting married this year to your fiance you've been with for nine years. I was like, oh, that sounds familiar. 
<laughs> because <laughs> I actually am also getting married uh, in November uh, with my fiance I've been with for nine years. So this is basically a, a, an identical story here, at least in terms of length of time and, and when we decided to, to make that decision. Um, so I, I know kind of uh, the process that you're going through here. Obviously, I'm not, not quite as close as you are, but it's, uh, you know, I, I think and of course, everyone everyone works in different ways. And if you immediately meet someone and, and you immediately know right out the gate that this is the, the decision you want, decision you want to make for the rest of your life, that's great. But I feel like once you get to know someone for a long period of time for years and you see who they are, I feel like um, it, it really lets you know, like you know, this is the right decision to make. And and I, I would say I'm not a a huge believer in just like sort of the concept of marriage just in general, um, you know. But that said, I know this is the right person. So uh, I'm also I'm also excited to to begin my journey into I don't know. Everyone complains after you get married. After that, you just you just hear jokes and yeah. how bad it is and everything. Life's over. Hang up the gloves. But no, I'm I'm excited as well. Uh, absolutely, yeah. I, I couldn't be you know more excited about it. Clearly, if you and I both thought nine years was the right answer, obviously that's the that you know that's the spot. But but yeah, I I definitely agree with what you're saying, and I think the biggest single sign. Like for, I mean, there's just a million of them, but, um, you know, obviously she's just such a wonderful woman. You know, I, I, there's just, I, I wouldn't be able to, to give enough words to describe, you know, how, how great I think she is, but we've really grown together, you know, like neither of us are anything like the person, uh, or people that we were nine years ago. And so we were both so committed to growth and personal development and just being better, you know? every day at our work, you know, at our relationship. Uh, and it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to see that, you know, I don't, I don't know how someone like gets married within a year um, and like sort of has that like proof of concept, if you will. I'm a little bit more uh, positive and optimistic on marriage and lifelong monogamous relationships than you, but nevertheless, like I waited until like my fifth serious relationship and I was 35 and we dated nine years. So I think in many ways we kind of feel similar about it. My parents actually did the stone opposite of this. They met in Saudi Arabia and got married after I want to say about six weeks. Nice. Um, <laughs> and uh, they're happily divorced today. So, I mean, all is well that ends well. Uh, yeah. no, but I'm, I'm glad they did. It worked out, worked out for me being here. I'm, I'm happy that it went down that road. I guess the, the the thing is, it also there's an element of you need to kind of get out there and explore the world and learn what you like and don't like and what's important and what kind of values that you know you you really want in a person and and um you know really find someone that I think you're you're compatible with where you can you know every day be like this is my best friend and I I. I I love to spend my time with them. The chat's gonna be like, "Man, come on! When are we gonna hear about some pocket tens? Like, we're gonna start yeah. off with love and weddings." And stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. but I, we're I think... losing viewers by the second time. <laughs> right here, right? Yeah, but, but I, you know, I think... hopefully, hopefully, it has some value for the viewers in the sense that uh, I think for both of us, but especially from you, like I don't, I don't usually hear this like level of vulnerability and sort of this discussion of your personal life. So it's definitely cool to hear on my end. I don't really like putting my personal life into my content that much. Right. Uh, I just don't really like to do it. I mean, even with getting married, I, I, I felt like I don't, I don't know. I feel like sometimes you just use that for like, sort of like just clickbait, get people like, like things and retweet them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and obviously it's important moments and they're moments that are, are, are great to share, but I kind of like to keep my work life and my personal life sort of separate and sure. not throw my personal life, friends and, you know, family into the line of fire to, to promote myself. I don't know. I'm not saying that's what people are doing. I'm just saying I, I always have kind of felt like I want to just keep things about my work and what I'm doing um, rather than that. 
Right. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, one of the immediate reasons I've mostly done that, particularly with, with Jen, is just the internet is such a terrible, mean place, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and it doesn't matter how great, you know, Jen is, no matter how good she looks, like, you know, you know, like, you know, the moment like her face starts popping up on screens or whatever, like, you know, that the hate's going to start coming her way and you and I can take it. You know, we, we are in the public eye. You, of course, to a much larger extent than me to, uh, to, a, to some extent. Um, but yeah, I want to, I want to shield her from that. That's part of it. <laughs> oh, I, I, absolutely. You got, you got to try and shield people the best you can. I mean, yeah. I, I know you had to have taken some heat after that survivor season that you were on where you got eliminated on the very first episode, which I got to say, man, you making us poker players look bad. We have a pretty bad track record on, on, on this, on survival. What's our, our best guys, JRB? What, what do we yeah. got? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty rough, man. And it's so brutal because like, just when I finally thought like I was going to stop hearing about that shit, uh, my season is like one of the most popular ones. And so they threw it on Netflix. And so, and like, and my face is like on the cover, like the promo of it, which is ridiculous. Cause I'm in two episodes, you know? And so I had to relive that shit over and over again on the internet. You know, even just yesterday, someone tweeted at me like, hey, bro, like you should have used your immunity idol. (laughs) And like, I'm like one of the best in the game. I'd like to think at not responding to trolls. But this guy got me yesterday, you know, so I just gave some like sarcastic response back or whatever. But the point being is like that will never fucking die. And that's cool. I, I don't mind. You know, I've said this before, but despite being disappointed with my performance, with my edit, uh, amongst several other things. Um, I, I just had such a great time. It was just such a novel experience. And, uh, you know, I thought about that too. You know, there was time over the years when, when you and I would chat occasionally. I remember you hit me up like, hey, can you, you know, can you help me out? Can you put me in touch with the casting director for Survivor? Uh, and, you know, of course I, I did and whatever, but you never on the show. And so sometimes I'll think about that. I'll be like, even the Supreme leader couldn't get on the show, you know, I like I gotta on. be fucking grateful. I had my, you know, my six days of, of opportunity or whatever. I think I submitted an application two or three different seasons and had a video and wrote whatever and talked to yeah. everybody. And I just never, I never managed to make the cut. So, yeah. you know, it's okay. I mean, I know when I'm not wanted. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. Like I couldn't think of someone who'd be like a better candidate for survivor for like 10 different reasons, but whatever. That's either here nor there. All right. Well, survivor, if you're listening to the pod right now, then I'm, I'm still, I'm still open to it. I'm just, you know, got to make sure the schedules work, but yeah, I'm open to the idea of coming on still. Yeah. I get guess this that, guy on that the, the new season, I think starts like in a few days. So season 41, they're still cooking, you know? So, yeah. Caitlin was excited for that. That's actually one thing that we, you know, as a couple, you have your shows. Yep. And we we love Survivor. We love when all of it came out. I, I remember when your season came out, I was telling Caitlin, okay, this guy is really good at poker. Yeah. Play with him at the bike. I'm really excited yeah. to watch him this season. Yeah, yeah. I think he can really go deep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's got all oh, the moves. Yeah, yeah. The show starts right out of the gate strong. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be a great season. It's so I have funny. You, yeah. I, yeah, I have you in my survivor pools. I don't know, it's whatever. It's- yeah, I dude, I have so many people that like, you know, the first thing they said to me is you cost me so much fucking money, bro. <laughs> you know. So, so um, for- but it's like going back to like personal development a little bit and stuff. It's funny because you know, like uh, I watched that once, you know, forever ago, but I I can still kind of remember some of the things I did and said and it just showed like a real lack of emotional intelligence some of the things I did on the show including like not uh, being emotionally intelligent enough to consider like what what production's needs were, <laughs> you know, um, and so uh, I'd like to think 
even though I don't have an interest in going back again, I'd be a better player now. But um, certainly, you know, I think I was 26 when we filmed. Like, I had a lot of growing up to do at that time. And I mean, that shit was on full display for the world to see. So it's all right. Yeah, no, that 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 makes makes sense. I, I obviously we don't have to dig it too much into that, but for those of you that aren't familiar with Survivor, it's a popular show where basically candidates get voted off over the course of a season, um, kind of based on who you want to outlast to try and win a bunch of money at the end. And uh, yeah, Garrett Garrett was on it, so didn't didn't go too hot. Um, but yeah, no. Anyway, so uh, going back to talking about, um, I want to kind of talk about the life poker balance. You, you sort of mentioned it there a little bit, and, and I think it's a good topic because. This is something that I struggle with, and I know a lot of poker players struggle with as well. Where I feel like when you get when when you first find poker, it's so it's so all it's so all um, consuming, and mm-hmm. you wake up poker, you think about poker, you think about poker, you play poker after oh I done better, you think about poker, and and it kind of takes over your life in a way which I think really lets you sort of dive deep into it and become good at it. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons why. Um, you know, at least for me, why I was able to become so good at it was because I was so passionate about it. I loved the game so much. But then I think that it, you reach this point where you sort of have to transition to other things and you have to be a more, more well-rounded person. And it can be kind of hard to go from trying to be really good at one thing to trying to be pretty good at, at you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 things. And, and, and I still struggle with that today. I find that I have a hard time balancing my life from that perspective. What, what's it been like from, for you moving away from such a poker-centric life into... Tr- you know, trying to be a more well-rounded person and, and, and kind of that process for you? Sure. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a really great question. I think sort of based on our prior conversations, I definitely think it's an issue we both really struggle with Um, sort of the concept of mastery. And then just like waking up every day, like wanting to outwork everyone on earth to be the best at something, I think is something we both um it's like deeply ingrained inside us you know and and obviously it has you know a ton of benefits um but it but it has some sort of negative side effects to it as well you know and you know i've spoken sort of openly about some some of my mental health struggles and stuff in the past and that sort of played right into you know just obsessively thinking playing etc poker like 100 hours a week for a decade or whatever you know I, i think my mental health really struggled and there was a time where I had reached like all my financial goals and then some, uh, and I was still just like very deeply unhappy. Um, and it, it kind of like made me take several steps back in terms of just like how I wanted to construct each day, um, to, to not feel that way. Right. Uh, and, and so to answer your question more specifically, um, poker as part of that, but certainly nowhere near as much as it used to be really kind of became the solution, you know? So I almost did it like out of necessity, uh, like for my own mental health. And then it's like a trial and error sort of thing, you know, dedicating whatever it was, 15, 20 hours a week in total to poker related activities became this sweet spot where, you know, I, I wouldn't say I loved the game as much as I did, like in the first several years where I was like in the online heads up streets, like battling. I mean, nothing compares to that shit. Your first like three, five years in the game. Um, but I really love it still, you know? Uh, and uh, I think just like finding that balance is, is a big part of it. And I just have like so many more interests now when you're obsessed with poker, that's like your interest, you know, there's so many different things like I care about. Um, like I used to wake up every day and be like, my goal on earth is to be the best poker player I can possibly be. 
And that's nowhere close to like a goal of mine now. You know, now I wake up and say, if or what am I going to do today that's going to like make like the lives of people I love better or or just in general be like a positive contribution to the world, you know? And um, poker's a piece of that, right? Because these additional earnings, like I can do a lot of good with, et cetera. Um, aside from it fueling like my competitive drive and, and things of that nature. So it's, I guess it's a super long way of, of just saying like my goals and my mindset has like really shifted in this very fortunate way. Uh, and it didn't need to look that way, you know? So, so you, you say that 15 to 20 hours of poker a week is kind right. of your sweet, your, your sweet spot. How do you deal with poker and, you know, walking away from sessions and, and your sleep schedule and that kind of thing? Because one thing I found since I, uh, I mean, basically stop playing poker. People will tell you I'm lying, but basically stop playing poker or at least stop playing professionally. Right. As I found, I've been on a really good consistent sleep schedule. I go to bed at 10 or 11. I wake mm-hmm. up at seven in the morning, roughly. I do that every day. Um, and what I find is if I play poker, I immediately get thrown out of that because first off, good games can run quite late. I'm sure you know this. And then also when you finish, at least for me, I find my mind is still racing. I, I can't just walk away, lay down and sleep. I, I have to walk away decompress think about things just have at least a couple hours to myself there to wind down before i'm able to sleep so how do you sort of deal with trying to find that sweet spot and then also you know playing in games when you need to be playing in them and and deal with your sleep schedule what's that whole process and balance kind of like for you yeah you know i think that's really like the million dollar question for a high stakes live poker player honestly like uh there's no easy answers it's just like an outrageously sort of challenging um you know obstacle um you know, when it comes to sleep and things like that, like my mindset is just always when I hop into a poker session, like I assume I'm going to need to be playing for the next 48 hours. Uh, And anything less than that is just like bonus, you know, Um, that's, that's the mindset. Like, it doesn't matter what's happening. It doesn't matter. um, It doesn't matter like how poorly I'm playing or feeling or running or whatever. Like, you know, I'm in it until no one like wants to play poker anymore. And, And so you can still see, some of these like tendencies that I've had my whole life from like a competitive standpoint. But um, once it does end, like I immediately transition sort of back into a lot of the other things we've talked about, like, okay, what choices can I make that are best for my life? You know, when I get just punched in the face with the deck in a session and it's one in the morning, like, you know, I'll, I'll usually literally ask myself, like when I get in the car, I go, all right, what do you want to do? You want to go to in and out right now and then lie in bed tomorrow feeling sorry for yourself? Or do you want to like make choices that are good for you? Like the healing process begins now. Um, and it's weird. Like even if like uh, a session as it relates to a fraction of my net worth is, is completely inconsequential, the dollar amount like still matters. Like, cause you still like live on earth, you know? So like if I lose like a quarter million in a session, like I still might, and, and maybe this is a good thing, like very aware of like how much money that is, you know? And, and so it really fucking hurts, you know? Um, and so there's just so much work I do, um, particularly the morning of the next day after really long sessions and particularly really tough long sessions. I usually try to not like make decisions that are too self-destructive the rest of that night. And I just give myself the space to say, you're in a lot of pain right now. And that's okay. Like, it's okay to be in a lot of pain um, sometimes for work reasons or for no reason at all. And then I just like gently ask myself like to try to be ready to have a good day the next day. 
you know? Um, and, and just, I don't know if you're, you're kind of getting the sense, but I'm just like a lot more gentle with myself than I used to be. And I think that's just related to a lot of other things we're talking about where before I was like, you have to be the best poker player you can possibly be and anything else is unacceptable. And now it's more just like, let's try to play well. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just a very different sort of gentle mindset where I'm able to just in all areas of my life, but especially poker, just like pat myself on the back, you know, on a really bad session, I can say to myself, did you do all the things you needed to do for your morning ritual this morning? Did you stay in emotional control during the session? Did you try your best? Did you not quit? Like, even if I just did those things, even if my decision-making on that day was just piss poor, I can sort of fall back on that and still pat myself on the back for those wins. That seems like a very mature and great place to be when you play. And I think just coming from that sort of mindset, you're going to have a pretty big advantage before cards are even dealt, just just viewing it like that. Because it is, it is hard to be gentle with yourself or to be yeah. you know, accepting for yourself and, and being okay with having made mistakes and being okay with the fact that you're not the best player, poker player in the world or being okay with the fact that you know, you're upset or you're in pain. And... Because I mean, those those that really strikes a chord with me. Because I, I kind of remember. I don't think you've had this moment um, in in your career, but I, I definitely did. Where I realized I kind of got to a point where I didn't want to be there playing as much mm-hmm. anymore. And um, for some reason, around that period of time, losing started to hurt way more. And even even to today, when I lose amounts, and the the money can be completely inconsequential. It it, it can be a very small amount of money relative to you know my net worth or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But the, even small hits when I lose, I feel the pain of them in a way that I didn't feel when I was younger. And when I was younger, it was, it was so much more important as a fraction of my, of my net worth. I took real hits. It, this was a serious hit sent me packing down in stakes and I had to work my way out of it. And now I, if I, if I, I feel even if I lose 10 K on a river where I feel I did something, you know, maybe I made a mistake or something, made a bad decision or, and then mm-hmm. I just feel emotionally upset that I lost because I think somewhere around along the way, I think I, I, you know, personally just became a little bit too entitled with feeling I should win all the time. You know, I'm good. I should always win. Uh, you don't get to always win. Sometimes you lose. And I know these things in my head, but it doesn't change how my heart feels when I feel that way. You know, you can't really control those things. And I think trying to have a, a, a mindset where you're, you can accept the way that you feel as, you know, being part of who you are and that it's okay for that to be the case, I think is a, is a great way to approach things. So I really like your mindset there. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's cool, sort of, that we both, uh, you know, both of us aren't uh, afraid to analyze or overanalyze things in our lives, you know, and so we both sort of, you know, done the calculus on this and come to very different conclusions. I think that that is like intellectually, you know, quite fascinating, uh, and you know, I guess just to add one more point to to what you're talking about, I use that as a tool too. Uh, after a really bad session or maybe several bad sessions in a row, like, you know, I'll talk to myself or when I'm being less weird, I'll talk to Jen uh, and just say, I don't have to play. Like, you know, I, I never need to to play poker again. Like I could be done with this. Like, and just reminding myself that I have that option, that there's no like obligation on any level to ever play again also kind of helps me and i go oh no like i want to play you know i I choose to play um and and again obviously sort of a different mindset that you had and i'm sure you're going to probably have um many of your viewers who 
probably can relate to one or both of those sort of thought processes. Definitely a lot, a lot of people to t- take away with that. Taking a step back uh, earlier, you said you were talking about your, you've gone through some mental health issues mm-hmm. that, you know, took you some time, I think, to get to where you are today. What, what, what happened and what was that process like to, to get to where you are today? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I, su- I suffered from depression, uh, kind of my whole life, uh, up until like I was around 30. Um, and like right around my 30th birthday, I, I remember just like, like I had this big birthday party, like all my friends, family came, like it was super fun. And, like a couple of days later, I was just like deeply depressed again. Uh, and, and I just remember like, you know, telling a few of the people close to me, like, I'm, I'm done this with this, like, I'm done feeling this way. Uh, I'm going to dedicate myself in the same way that I've dedicated myself to a few other areas like poker, fitness, et cetera, like 100% to, to feeling better. Like there's no, uh, none of these other things that I put work into or care about, like really mean shit. Like if I don't wake up every day feeling well. Um, and so, you know, this may be a little repetitive for, for some people, but you know, I got an incredible psychologist I uh, started just reading a million books on the topic, cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, became sort of like religion to me um, and, and just really put in, you know, the hard work to slowly start to feel better, you know, and it, it's not something that happened overnight. Uh, and it's not something like I would say the progress mostly was made over like a two or three year period. Um but even then it's not like I turned 33 and like, I just woke up fucking smiling every day, you know, like, uh, I still have bad days. I still struggle, but what I fall back on is, is the work, you know, um, which interestingly is not that different from the work required again, to play poker well, to be in good shape, etc. Um, and so, you know, on, on my worst days, like instead of lying in bed, um, you know, feeling sorry for myself, gaining weight, I make choices that actively help me feel better. Um, and I think sort of sharing this, um, you know, on, on Joey's pod and, and maybe a couple other places um, has sort of led to me getting all sorts of comments, calls, emails, et cetera, from various people in and out of our community saying, Hey, like what you said really helped me a lot, you know? Uh, and that also interestingly has like kind of changed my life a lot uh i used to just play poker for the same reason almost everyone plays poker right to to make some money and make a better life for myself and my family and what i realized once i sort of went public with that is like i can do some like real good just by telling people my story um and that's just been you know so incredibly rewarding and um you know i still get you know tens of emails, you know, regularly, just like people like talking, asking me, you know, Hey, I struggle, you know, what ideas, like whatever. And, um, in what is otherwise a super selfish endeavor, more or less poker, like it's allowed me to to kind of kill two birds with one stone where I feel like, Oh, my work, my work has some value, you know, outside of myself. And I think just to sort of support that, um, that that's happening from, from the outside, from the way I see it. When I see people talk about you specifically, there are people that really, really like you. Um, I mean, of course you had your backlash moments, especially with the survivor thing or whatever, but mm-hmm. um, just like if your name gets brought up in the context of poker, 
people like you. You're you're, you're actually one of the more well liked people, and, and maybe part of that is you know you, you are a little bit careful with where you, you choose to say things or what you choose to say, and then mm-hmm. um, you know you have opened up and have shown some vulnerability. Obviously, you're very successful. Um, so I, I I do think that you I think I think that your message comes across to people in a way that is pretty unique and and very uh, very authentic. Well, I appreciate that, you know, and, and I think to the first thing you said, I want to just make sure like some credit is given to the fact that, yeah, like, you know, I am often careful with what I say, you know, there's a joke on the streams, like one of my nicknames is Switzerland, right? Like I never say anything to offend anybody, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, I, I, I guess I am thoughtful with, with things like that. And so that, you know, that is certainly part of it. And I think, to give you some credit, like you very easily could make similar choices and you choose not to. Uh, and I think that that's really fucking cool. You know, <laughs> I think it's really cool that you'll just say like whatever uh, you think needs to be said irrelevant of who it offends, which again, makes you and I really different. Uh, and in a way I really respect about you and always have. I appreciate that. If you're Switzerland, I definitely have a United States uh, international foreign relations policy where I'm all over the place. People are getting bombed and I probably shouldn't be there. (laughs) (laughs) So there's there's a lot of that going on. All right. Um, That was really good stuff, man. I I actually I really felt I I felt those in the feels. That was awesome. Um, So moving over, talking about some some poker stuff, uh, I think that for starters, I want to just kind of kick it off with talking about a general your general thoughts on the live poker scene. Obviously, we package this video around is live poker dead? Cliff notes, no. But before <laughs> before I before I shouldn't put words in your mouth. What are your thoughts? What what is the current state of live poker? Yeah, you know, so I first want to sort of give you my thoughts like on live poker, like during COVID. Uh, and they were kind of my thoughts throughout like me playing live poker, which is like yeah, it's over tomorrow. Like pretty much like when I first moved to LA, like whatever it was about a decade ago, I always kind of was under the assumption that like the games would die tomorrow. Uh, and I think that mindset, although generally not great for life has kind of helped me in poker from a gratitude standpoint. Like I always just feel grateful to play in a good game. And, you know, many of the, you know, uh, the pros watching this, like, are like, yeah, like you play in the sickest games ever. Like, you know, of course you feel that way. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I always kind of like feel like it's, it's over and, and I never felt that more so than COVID, you know, I was like, oh, wow. Like everyone's become an entrepreneur. Everyone has an online app game. Everyone can sit in their underwear and play and the games are good now. Like why are, why are people gonna, you know, go back to live casinos, like risk their health, you know, et cetera. Um, and what I found, and of course, the, the reasons for this are very multifaceted, obviously, um, you know, the wealth gap has gotten bigger. Um, those who have a lot of disposable income have only gotten much wealthier, um, which of course helps the high stakes poker economy, but people just love live poker. You know, I, I don't want to kind of go on a rant shitting on internet poker, especially please do, like, please do. <laughs> Cause I'm like pretty biased at this point, but I mean, it's no secret. Like I, I think, the games are dying. I think, you know, real-time assistance is a very serious problem. Uh, and to me, just like playing live poker in a casino versus online, it's just like, it's just no comparison. And I'm so glad um, that what I've found is, is most p- poker players feel the same way. And, you know, these live games are just thriving like no other, you know, like 
on some of the streams I play on, like you still got to wear a mask and shit. Like you still can't eat at the table. People don't care. They'll like sit there for 10 hours, like starving and they can't breathe because they love poker that much, you know? Um, and so, you know, I guess with that being said, you know, we now have hustler casino casino live who's entered the sort of LA live stream, uh, environment in addition to, to live at the bike. And at first I was like, Ooh, I don't know. These companies might eat each other up. They may split the player pool where each is running two shitty games a week and, you know, just trying to just trying to gobble each other up. And and what instead I've found is like, you know, people are happy to watch both, you know, especially now both streams are putting their content on YouTube. Like people who love poker, love poker. Like they're happy to watch like, you know, all the high stakes streams like throughout the, the, uh, the course of the following week, you know, and so um, I'm just you know, like, I guess this is pretty obvious, but I'm just so grateful. I kind of fell into the position I'm in, you know, like it, it started in such a funny way. Like Ryan Feldman used to always hit me up to play on like his kind of smallish games when he started building on, I'm like, no, like, I don't care. No. And then he, he built one game that was like 100, 200. I remember Antonio played and I'm like, all right, sure. I'll hop in that one. And what happened? And, uh, and some of these games involved, uh, our good friend, but especially yours, Ryan Fee, where like, I just like did a bunch of things and like that worked out well that were kind of like highlight reel type shit. And like, just immediately like gathered a following and like a light bulb went off in my head. I was like, all right, well, here we go. We have home game runners who are illegally running home games. Uh, and in the best case scenario, like are over ranking players. And then the worst case scenario, outright cheating them in one or a hundred different ways, right? On a watch on streams, you know, and in an endless series of like fortunate things that have happened to me in my poker career, like this is yet another one. It kind of just like fell into my lap and, you know, here we are. And, and I'm just like, I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful, you know, to the team at Live at the Bike, especially Wayne and JJ, you know, I'm grateful to Hustler Casino Live, Nick and Ryan. I mean they all just work their asses off just like building these super sick games. And all I got to do is like show up and be the goofball I am. And it's, it's, it's just crazy to even think again, coming from this mindset that like, ah, it's all over time for the next thing. Like, you know, five years ago and, and ever since then. So. so, so many different things to talk about there. I, I want to start off, start off with the online versus live comparisons. Sure. sure, It is interesting to see what happened with online poker when COVID began. Mm-hmm. And really, I, I think most specifically two, three months into COVID um, in the U.S. when we were doing uh, shutdowns and we finally got the first stimulus check, all that kind of stuff, because there was no live poker anymore, or very little live poker. And between that and the fact that all of a sudden people had more money and were being given money and all these different kind of factors going on, online poker boomed. Games were good everywhere online. Training site subscriptions went up. I mean, it was it was the best time I, I for science traveling I've seen. I think since we started, it was just we had it, people were pouring in. All of the traffic numbers online went up. All of a sudden, online poker it really it, it had a bit of a mini boom. It wasn't it wasn't a huge huge boom, but it definitely had solid um, uh, solid gains in, in traffic across the board. And so it did it did make you wonder a little bit what what are things going to be like once this kind of ends. But it it, it kind of comes back to to your main point on that, which is. People just enjoy playing live poker more than they do playing online. There is a convenience to online poker. And I think for professionals, online poker is better because you get way more hands, all these different reasons. But online poker has to compete with so many different things, kind of all playing uh, at the same time. First off, you have to compete 
on either a countrywide scale or, or a nationwide scale, uh, sorry, or a worldwide scale, um, it, with the exception being some of the localized city and state sites. But realistically, your site has to compete with everyone. That makes online poker hard for sites to compete. Um, additionally, you're going to wor- worry about real-time assistance. You're going to worry about players colluding against you. You're going to be worried about payouts on the site. You're going to be worried about, you know, is your money safe on the site? You're going to have to be worried about all kinds of different things that go into online poker. And that's just so that you can, um, you know, get to play in these games uh, against insanely good players. So so online poker is is very difficult. I think I think online cash specifically is getting very, 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 very hard to beat. Uh, I think online tournaments are still pretty good, though. And I still think that we have a, a, a nice array of uh, tournaments happening and a good influx of, of new players that, that are playing them to, to keep those good. But the thing about live poker that will make it always good, in my opinion, is that you have to actually get to the table and be there. Mm-hmm. And that just that just rules out so many people that can take a spot in your game. You actually have to be in the in the location at the venue. And then for the actual game itself, the chips, the cards, the the environment, the the sounds, the the the, the camaraderie almost. You just simply can't get that online. You just can't. There's no way to get it. So I think that it really is, despite being the same game strategically as core, it is a very different product. And it's one that is much more highly demanded by the average person, even if there is an even distribution between online and live poker, which I'm not sure is the case. So those, those are my thought online versus live. Um, as for fees and um, you know playing with you in some of the live games, I want you to know this. We've tried on multiple occasions to get you to come coach at Upswing because every time, who would be a great coach? Garrett. And then if he hits you up or I hit you up and you're, no, no, not doing that. No, no. So I just wanted to say, the offer is always there and I will probably continue to hit you up to come coach for us because we would absolutely love that. I'm not going to let this one go. And then and then back to LA Poker for, for, for a second. So uh, obviously I'm familiar with Live the Bike. I've played there a couple of times. But I'm not I'm not familiar with Hustler. Uh, can you kind of give me the rundown there? Is it? I, I think they've been around for at least a few years. They, they started a stream game, correct? Recently, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, just to to quickly uh, just piggyback off a couple of things you just said. Definitely barriers to entry in terms of like the the live games, like physically being there, getting in the game, except all these things that it's, it's just like a huge deal. Couldn't agree more. And then. Yeah, as it relates to, you know, you and Ryan and Upswing, every time I'm, like, you know, super flattered. Um, my own just, like, personal thoughts on on training sites, and it wasn't always this way. You know, I did some training site stuff, you know, what seems like a lifetime ago. Uh, is like, it's just not something, like, I'm interested in doing, but, and whenever people ask me this, I'm, like, very clear. Like, I have no ill will. I'm not, like, angry training sites exist. Like, it's capitalism of course they exist. It'd be insane not to. Uh, and so like, I fully support you in it. You know, Phil Galfon's a good friend of mine, like fully support everything he's doing with it. It's just, it's just like not, not for me anymore, but nevertheless, you know, I'm super flattered. But um, to your question regarding um, Hustler. So I think the casino has been around a long time and uh, I live in Manhattan beach. It's actually not that far from me. It's like 15 minutes, like irrelevant of the time of day. So that's incredible. Um, but basically just like what went down, I guess, is, you know, Ryan, um, you know, left live at the bike and, you know, was looking to build a competing stream and, and, you know, Hustler and, you know, shout out to to Sean at, at Hustler. Like they just like rolled out the red carpet for them and just said, yeah, like we're, we're here for you. We're going to do whatever, you know, we need to do to, to build a super great stream. And, you know, when Ryan first told me about this stuff years ago, like I was like, uh, we'll see if it actually happens, you know, and 
I mean, to his and Nick's credit, man, they have done it. Like they have created a badass product, beautiful production. Uh, and they just like, you know, they treat the players like gold there. And so it's, it's been amazing, you know, and in, uh, in true Switzerland form, like I'd have to say, like, of course I feel the same way about live at the bike. Like they treat me like royalty there to both casinos as well as management of the individual streams. Like they just like, they just treat me like royalty and, and I'm so grateful, but yeah, hustler came out of nowhere. Um, and, uh, and you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they continue to sort of make their mark, uh, on LA poker in general to say nothing of, you know, obviously the, the massive following they've all already built for their stream in particular. So what are your thoughts on live stream poker and, um, sort of its ability to bring in new players and, and I guess capture attention. There's obviously some downsides to live streams, live stream poker, as we all saw play out with stones, uh, mm-hmm. n- n- not the, not the best moment for California stream games. That's for sure. But what are your thoughts on the stream games? For sure. Yeah. I want to, I want to touch on both the things you just said. First of all, uh, you know, to me, the product is two things. It's, it's not me. It's not, you know, the, the biggest recreational player who like is key to keeping the game going. The two products like are poker itself and the stream people fucking love whole cards period, you know, and we saw that obviously, you know, when ESPN was brilliant enough to start broadcasting them, I guess that was probably in the early 2000s. Um, and I mean, it's fun. It doesn't matter who you are, seasoned, pro, rack, anywhere in between. Like, you want those whole cards, you know? Like, you want to be able to go back and be like, dude, this fucking guy bluffed me in this hand. Like, the the whole card aspect of it really is the product. And it's what I think allows for stream games to just consistently be so good. Because it has an element that attracts all players um, that you just can't get, you know, anywhere else. So, so you know, initially, like when I first started playing, um, you know, I just played in such an egregiously exploitable fashion that I was like, oh, I don't know about whole card can, you know. But I quickly realized, like, well, this is just like so worth it because the games that can be built are so great. And then, of course, you just like you know adjust your own game accordingly thereafter. Um, to your second point, you know, regarding Postal and Stones, certainly just like devastating for, for streaming games, like as a whole, you know, um, yeah, it it just sucks. You know, it it just sucks. You know, like occasionally people will make a comment, like if I make a good play, they go, Garrett's postling. And of course it's the internet, you know, everyone's just like mean on the internet. Um, but it just sucks. You know, it just sucks that like he did that. (laughs) Uh, he just, he just really fucked a lot of things up, you know, but maybe the silver lining for that is like, after that happened, I go, Oh fuck. Like it's yes. It's the company's job to make sure game integrity is, you know, couldn't be higher. Uh, yes. It's the casino that runs the game, but I'm like, no one's more personally um, affected by this or could be like screwed over by this than me. Like I always play the biggest hands, cover everyone at the table. Like I'm happy to like, put all my money in like if I don't have it sometimes right like and so it's incredibly important to me uh that like you know game security is just like you know everything and so I've had some tough conversations um you know with ownerships of both groups you know to say listen like I I don't care like I'm not playing unless you do this and this and this and this um and you know uh thankfully both companies live the bike and hustler have you know, 
taken all my advice. You know, I've done like some thorough analysis of both streams uh, and I couldn't feel better like myself about it. I'll at least say, you know, like for instance, if I thought there was like a 5% chance, like I was ever being cheated on a stream, like I just can't play, right? Like you're just being free rolled to too huge an extent. Like one hand you're being cheated is like, you know, whatever, like a thousand, 2000 bigs. It's like when people talk about home games and they're, they're probably fine. Okay. Well, you can't play then. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you, just, no, you, just, you just can't play. And let's, let's tie that back into sort of my feelings on poker and whatever in general, like the amount of time I want to spend on it, like whatever, you know, like it, if I'm not sort of like earning at a level, um, you know, when incorporating the risk of being cheated uh, that, that I want to be like, it would, it would just make no sense to me, you know? And so I think, Honestly, there's no bigger endorsement I can give for both of those companies than the fact that like I choose to play, you know, but, um, you know, with that said, it's, it's certainly something that like, I'm always like, it's always on my mind. I'm always like watching out for. And in the end, like you got to trust the people, you know, like I've done enough sort of analysis, talked to enough experts on this sort of stuff, like that, like they basically said, like, listen, if someone was dedicated enough and brilliant enough and scummy enough, like cheating could happen, you know? And so on some level, like you do have to, to trust the people involved with the ownership groups of the stream. And, and thankfully, like I have very long histories and relationships with, with all of those people and, and feel you know great about that. Those are, those are strong, uh, strong words. And I think people will, will be more likely to play having hear you, heard you say that when you talk about how you play on stream and you were you weren't you weren't sure if you wanted whole cards whole card cams because sure. now people can see your cards sure. what what were some of the changes that you made when you had to play on those because for me i didn't play that differently because i've always just tried to be really balanced so whole card cams sure let's go i i'm, I'm fine with that in fact it's gonna be worse for everyone else than it will be for me probably right. so what what were some of the changes that you made when you started playing on the live streams sure i mean without question certainly um you know, playing on streams regularly with opponents that you play against regularly certainly lends itself to like, you know, in a, any decision point, you know, um, sort of relying more on, on game theory as opposed to, you know, pure exploits. Cause obviously like your opponent sees you do something several times, they're just going to quickly counter exploit, you know? Um, so, you know, I think that that's sort of like, the oversimplified obvious answer, you know, I think what a lot of the viewers maybe like are, are, are kind of interested in, and I think it's what you're alluding to is like you and I have both had a lot of success in our poker career. And both of us are kind of often used as the poster child children for like um, taking completely different approaches. Right. Um, you, of course, uh, it, very famously in many of your, um, you know, Negreanu interviews, just being like, listen, I'm just going to try to approximate GTO as best I can in every spot. And then I'm just going to win. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and that's just like, as you know, like very different from the way uh, I view poker. But I think actually you and I are probably a lot more similar uh, with this than, than maybe a lot of your viewers think. And, and the reason just comes down to the games we play in. Like you consistently have played most of your poker hands in your career against some of the best competition in the world. And, you know, Negreanu, by the time he was in that heads up challenge, like he was an excellent poker player, you know? And so it made a ton of sense for, for you to just um, as incredibly difficult as it is, try to approximate, you know, game theory, optimal play 
um, you know, as often as you could in spots where in the games I play, that would just be insane. Like, that would, you know, that would just be like crazy. And, and you know, uh, so, you know, for, for those who watch me play a lot, um, they probably understand that a lot of what I'm doing is sort of a hybrid uh, of the two approaches. And I think to like, in very soft live games, like only do one, uh, would like never, would never really make like any sense. You know, a lot of times like very high stakes live games are populated with two kinds of players, world-class pros and recreational players. Right. And so, you know, what I found when I was like, even when I first started playing on streams is, you know, I was playing with guys like, like, let's say Dan Zach. I mean, this guy's a fucking spectacular poker player. Right. And like the things that I was doing my whole career, like he was just eating me up, you know? Uh, and so that was great because it really lit a fire under me to be like, well, what kind of poker player do you want to be Garrett? Like, do you want to be good at like three of the, the 10 most important things to, to win at the highest level? Or, you know, and, and so what I really did at the time is challenge myself, like, let's try to, let's try to be as good at game theory as Dan Zach, you know, or as, you know, whoever else. Um, and then let's combine that with like my other, you know, skill sets. Um, and then let's, you know, let's put it together in a way that admittedly is, is pretty challenging. It's pretty complicated, you know, like, again, it's already hard enough to sort of, to really learn how to play GTO pretty well. But when you know the answer to that, let's say hypothetically, and then you are considering three other variables, you know, that I often utilize in hands. It's just becomes this really complicated equation. And uh, I, I kind of love it. You know, I kind of love it. I just want to add like one more thing. You know, I, I heard some of your comments like about like Phil Hellmuth and like, you know, whatever, like obviously he very famously has been in the public eye saying like, you know, I do it this way, like whatever. And, you know, my response to, to Phil, who, you know, I know I, I like very much on a personal level is, uh, I don't know, it's, it's just like kind of misguided. Like I would want to be the very best I could be at every aspect of uh, playing poker well, you know, and um, yeah, I'll, leave it, I'll leave it there. He, he he leaves some value on the table by only seeing part of the part of the picture. For sure. I do think I, that there's I, a... I think sorry. Like I Go guess ahead. my bigger point is like when like Phil talks about white magic, right? Specifically. Like everyone goes, haha, you fish, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Okay. I deeply believe in white magic as he defines it. Deeply, deeply believe in it. It's a very, very important important part of some of my decisions, you know. And so, like, what I would challenge Phil, for instance, uh, to do is, like, imagine if you did all of that and were great, like, in some other areas. Like, I mean, the, the guy gets no credit in the world that it's, like, he's so bad at some parts of poker, and yet he's so incredibly fucking good at others that he just crushes. Like, it's, it's just amazing, you know? So, so what, what, what you're saying is eventually poker will just be Phil Helmuth that knows how to play solver-approved ranges, but then also has white magic. That's yeah, the Terminator. I, think ba- I think basically that's what we're looking at. Like as, uh, and, and, you know, you can ask Phil, he'll let you know, like, even though no one's already as good as him, I think the future only holds, uh, how you dominating poker in a way that, that we've never seen before, you know, like, a, a Steven Chidwick or whatever is just gonna, he's just gonna be bowing down to Phil Helmuth, you know, probably any day now, I think is what we're looking at. 
Lord knows how many bracelets that might culminate in. <laughs> I think there's a I think there's a defining moment with solvers or it's a defining moment with exploitative play versus um, game theory play, and it, and it is the release of solvers publicly because when I was coming up with strategies back in the day, I had to think about, well, what makes sense here? How do I balance this? How do I bluff enough? How do I call enough? And I had some things really spot on. I had some things really dumb that were really dumb. I had, some, like, for example, the jamming when low straights would come in that opposition can't have. I was doing tons of that a long, long, long time ago. And yeah. nobody was doing that. And I thought, yeah. this is, no, they can't have the straights. Let's do some jamming. Yeah. And I was bluffing. I was valuing. Nobody ever called. You just got all your bluffs through. It was great times. Um, and then some things I, w- I was doing were really stupid. I, I thought on monotone boards, you had to use really big sizes. Uh, it turned out it was the exact opposite. They're actually one of the smallest, if not the smallest size board. So you kind of had to come with your own conclusions. And then you had to play exploitative. Because, for example, when I played versus Ben Solsky in a challenge we did seven or eight years ago, he didn't really care how I was playing. But I, I was really deeply in the weeds on how he was playing. And so we had all these spots. And I will have would have figured out down to a very specific combos what he could have or not have. And it made me, it allowed me to make really, really accurate decisions where, because I didn't have a solver, I didn't know what the correct things were. I, I never used a solver until last year, really. So I, I, I couldn't play that quote unquote game theory solution strategy. It, it didn't exist yet. At least we weren't able to see it yet. Um, obviously it existed. So that moment, I think when solvers started to become widely used, greatly changed the games and it, greatly changed your approach and i actually found that very comforting when i did study them because oh well this is just the answer so now i can get the answer and i can go do it and and there is an there is a confidence and a uh sort of a safety net in that of okay when i play versus negrano and and look a lot of people said doug you should just always fold when the guy bets the river okay tons of people said that and you know if i look back on it he he underbuffed the river a little bit uh but it wasn't massively massively he had some spots that he was he was under bluffing and his big sizes were a little too value heavy that kind of stuff but the point is yeah i could i could assume this and i could start deviating or like you said earlier or i could just win and do i want to just win or do i want to get involved in this mind game of who has what where and does he know that i know and or or, or do i just win and so i i'm definitely an example of Nowadays, at least when I do play someone that tries to be on the opposite end of the spectrum, which is I don't disagree that white magic exists or I don't think it doesn't exist. It obviously exists. And mm-hmm. some of the things that you see Phil Helmuth do where he just picks up on something and, and makes a decision that, it, it, I mean, is correct, but you could just never make. No one would ever make. You know that there's something there. But it also kind of comes down to how good are you as your baseline? Because if you just think my baseline is just better than, you know, almost everyone or everyone I'm playing with or whatever it is you, you kind of get the luxury of not really having to worry about it unless you, you really want to engage in it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I certainly agree with that. And I think it, you kind of hit it on the head with like your very last phrase of if you want to engage in it, you know? And I think for me, like, you know, like I'm, I'm never going to like throw a perfect game, like in any live session I play, but I am going to like go into it trying, you know? And so doing that, you know, when, when I'm playing with a series of recreational players, uh, you know, that's like, you know, that's like, uh, I'm going to not use a dumb memory, uh, another dumb sports metaphor, but basically like, I think I can do better is the point, you know? And instead of like, let's say that win rate being one X, if I'm world-class at, um, executing, you know, game theory, optimal play in, in every spot, uh, you know, maybe I can be 1.5 X by being really great at that stuff and also incorporating, you know, a bunch of other things. Um, and, 
I very much have always respected your opinions on this. Um, and, and it's definitely something like I've thought a lot about. And again, I think a lot of it just kind of comes down to the nuance of, of who we're playing against. So definitely makes sense. I, this, at this time, I have a couple images prepared here for the chat. If you guys are watching this on video, you'll get to see these. If you're listening to the audio version, you can come back and check it later. But Garrett and I played two hands that are a bit different, but very eerily similar. And I was sent this image after these hands. I'm going to bring them up here so that the chat can see. So this is an image where... Uh, oh, no. Why is my Garrett, face so goofy looking? Fuck. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll tell my editor he's, he's getting a pay cut. Um <laughs> So this is this is Garrett with 10-7 on 9-8 deuce jack 5. I believe the, the turn action actually got three bets. So there was a lot of money that went on the turn. And uh, he's got his arm over the chair, second nut straight. What can I possibly do here? You can you can see you can see in his face. He he, he looks unhappy. Not 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 the total zen moment here for, for Garrett. And then here is a hand I played two or three years later on high stakes poker, where I have 10-7, arm <laughs> over the chair. Jack nine eight versus Queen Ten, also facing an all in and looking not too happy about it. And we actually managed to both find folds in these spots. Apparently, ten seven just just doesn't get it done these days when it hits the second nuts. But when I was shown this, I thought this was just this was just it's kind of weird, honestly. It's it, it's kind of it's kind of weird. We're both in the exact same pose with the exact same hand on almost the exact same board. It's uh both up against the nuts. I don't know. I, 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 yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, go for it. I'll- oh, I was going to say, yeah, it's just too pure. You know, when you when you first sent me this, like, I was like, that shit's got to be fake, you know? So, but it, it's funny you bring this up now because I, I think it's really to, to our point before. Like, I think we're a lot more similar than, uh, than the public probably would think in terms of, you know, we both just, like, want to play well, you know? And so there's, you know, you're not going to fold that hand if, if Negreanu is your opponent, you know, Negreanu is obviously not going to take the line he did in that hand. Yeah. It's a moot, it's a moot point, right? Because yeah. if, I, if I was playing someone that would play balanced, I would, I, I would probably not fold, but even then you probably should fold because there are no hands that can jam. There's no hands that can do this. So, yeah. so you probably just still have to fold really. It's just, I mean, your, your hand actually made a bit more sense than my hand. My yeah. hand was really what the fuck. I mean, yeah. it was. I faced an eight x flop pot jam. For um, sure. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what, what you thought in your hand? I'm not sure if you full, full remember how it went down. And everything. Yeah, yeah. I think it. Uh, I think it just went um, like flop, check, call, turn, check, raise, three bet, call. I'm out of position, uh, and then I checked the river, and uh, you know, Andy potted the river or, or close to it, uh, and it's just sort of like a, a like a perfect example of like kind of how I play poker, which is like, like I live by the, the sword, I die by the sword, you know, like I'm, I'm well aware sort of what a comically exploitable fold this is in this moment. I'm well aware, like Andy's a very capable opponent who, by the way, like I will be playing hundreds of hours with on stream in the future. And he very much can punish me for making a fold, even like in the, the realm of, of, of sort of, you know, one like this. Um, but I kind of just like go with my gut you know, in certain spots. And it's, it's, it's so hard to explain, right. To assign a relative weight to my decision-making process. Like sometimes like in this spot, like, you know, everything says call minus like one thing, which I just assigned a lot of weight to in many other hands I play, including against Andy specifically, like I have no gut feeling. I have no nothing. Like I'm just going off of like theory in terms of like what choice I want to make. But 
that flexibility um, is, is something I always sort of really appreciate having, however complicated it makes, um, you know, each decision point for me. Um, and then I think the other sort of aspect of this is like, I don't really like give a fuck what people think, which is like a really powerful weapon when you play on streams all the time. Uh, I make all sorts of egregious plays. Many of them are, are, are very bad theoretically, uh, and like the wrong answer in the moment. Um, and I have sort of the self-confidence in my poker game, which, you know, takes years, decades to, to acquire, but I'm very fortunate to have it to just be like, well, I'm just going to do this. And, uh, you know, this is might be super fucking wrong, like whatever. Uh, and that's where kind of, you know, I guess how I would describe like white magic sort of plays a role for me. I, I just don't, I just don't really care. And, and I think it's one thing to like fold a river, but I think it best applies like when you just go all in for many, many big blinds. Uh, I think that that one is uh, particularly scary, particularly hard for the human mind to wrap their head around. Uh, you know, irrelevant of what one's win rate is, like if you just bluff off like a thousand bigs uh, in a hand, which like I've done a couple of times, like in the last couple of weeks, that shit fucking hurts. And you I'm, have to be pain, like you have to be strong enough to like deal with the pain of that, like, you know, after the the session ends. And, you know, I want to bring you back into this because I just loved watching you play poker versus Negranu. I just fucking loved it. And like, even though our backgrounds are so different, like we are just the exact same where we just go, you know, and maybe for different reasons right but we both go all right well it's time to fucking ship 500 bigs in here with nothing let's fucking go you know and that's like not i don't know i i would watch you play and i would feel like this is probably the way you thought about it because it's the way i think about it where i just go this is what separates me like my ability to do this and give no fucks and like we'll just see what happens and like I would like to think that very few, even really great players um, would just put all of the money in there, like at the frequency you did with nothing in that challenge. And I, you know, I just adored it, I guess, like both as a player, a a fan of the game, you know? So, yeah, I, 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 it's going to be a sick thing to say, but I, I kind of love it. Uh, And I have to, I have to make sure I reel it in because I know I do it a little bit too much in spots because the reality is that most players are just when it comes down to it for a lot of money, they're going to stop thinking about things in terms of what's my optimal call range. Yep. And if the, the right play is to be jamming at this frequency with this range, you just do it and you just let, let the chips fall as they may. And I mean, I, I had a bunch of hands versus Negrano where I did that. I, I had one where I, I ripped eight deuce where I just hit nothing. I just had a gutter that bricked and it, he had the nuts and he just, yeah, trapped. I remember the hand you had eight deuce of diamonds, right? Yeah. It's like a great, yeah, one. yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. That was that was like what I was getting at. Like, I think we both like I just got a little sickness in us, like where we love it. Where in my case, like you're so consistently rewarding for over bluffing in just huge spots in live poker. The, the so. thing is, the thing is too though, no one gets paid like me. When I get hands, when I play live poker, I mean, at least that I've seen. I don't know. Maybe yeah. maybe you have a great job getting paid too. I have no <laughs> idea. But yeah. when I have hands, it is it is just people. People are just. Just quick, here's a bucket of money. Just grab some money. I'm, I'm just yeah. trying to scoop it all up. 
I, I just get I get action all the time. And then whenever I run bigger bluffs, I'm always please know just uh fucking Doug Equity or they just call you with the right. with the sandwich because you know you're you could just have the the, the Doug. Uh, so I I mean it it probably it probably doesn't work out for me as much as it should because everyone has their tendencies whether you like it or not where you lean certain ways. And one reason why I was always good at heads up was I leaned towards calling too much and lean towards bluffing too much. Yeah. So it made it really hard to play me unless you knew your stuff because I was going to fight you really hard all over the place. But if you play correctly, you'll you'll beat me being a spew a spewtard. So so there's there's definitely a balancing act there and uh you know that's my tendency that I have to kind of pull back from. But at the same time having if someone's if, if you were to give some advice to someone, actually Nate Silver was on here a couple podcasts ago. We were talking about playing poker, and he said I always lean towards trying to be too aggressive. And honestly, if I had to tell uh, someone new to poker that's just trying to trying to win and, and just some basic gen, gen, general advice, I would say lean towards being uncomfortably aggressive because a good poker you're going to make plays that are aggressive and uncomfortable, and you could get stacked. And the human um, the the innate human emotion is conserve protect don't put myself on the line but you're actually supposed to put yourself on the line quite a bit when you play good poker and no limit hold them and you, you should just be willing to put your foot in the gas if you think you, you should right yeah yeah i want to uh like tie a couple things you've said together when you first started talking about sort of how solvers change the game as well as like what you were just talking about uh, i think that that's something that's often missed amongst like all but elite players in terms of the way i play like uh, people think like I play like a like a nut job. Like, nah, I don't have shit on the solvers. <laughs> you know, like they go so much harder than like even I do. Uh, certainly, like in a variety of spots. Um, and so, so I, I kind of want to give a few thoughts on on solvers. But certainly in the beginning, like I felt the way you did, where there was all this like cool shit like I came up with, like how to do over the course of my poker career. You know, before solvers and. It just sucks because I feel like, you know, like less studied, like people maybe less capable of original thought, like whatever, like if they just worked hard, they like, they like learned how to do that shit, you know, just like all sorts of like, kind of like unorthodox lines that like absolutely have to be part of your arsenal if you're trying to like optimize your play. And like, they were just, they just never even considered like, oh shit, like I should take this line you know, sometimes, right? Yeah. A good example of one of those kinds of lines that I like is, so let's say it's a, del- a delay C bet line. So let's say you call an open heads up or ring doesn't matter. The flop is dry. Let's say it's kick eight, five, it goes check, check, turns a deuce and you check and they bet. The solvers are going to have a bunch of check raises here and they're going to use a geometric size, which means huge, huge, yeah. because you should not have sets really here ever other than deuces and the big one can have eights and fives and you can't. So in spots like that, you're going to have a check raise size, which is maybe three X the size of their bet looking to jam rivers. And I would do random shit like that back in the day where I just thought it made sense because they're capped or whatever I was going after. And, and no one was doing stuff like that. It was, it was just a completely undiscovered frontier. And when people were watching the play, they'd think I was just being really spewy. And a lot of them were, a lot of them were spewy ended up being not good, but but that stuff ended up being very, very strong and good and correct. And so you need to do that some of the time, but you can't do it a ton. We should do it three, 4%, five, whatever it's supposed to be. So you, you get these spots where, okay, when I have a good hand out of position here, I should mainly bet when I do check, I should, you know, mix check call and check raise. When I do check raise, it's to three X pot or two and a half X pot or whatever it might be. Right. 
it's really hard to do that just in general. And then you throw in the live poker aspects. And this is actually one of the things I think makes live poker so great is you have to be truly talented to be able to do it 4% in live poker in that spot because you have to not only be randomizing in an appropriate manner, but you have to be thinking about all your combos. You're visible while it's happening. You don't have anything up on your screen. There's no RNG button you click and it tells you what your RNG is. You have to be doing that on the spot. And I think that actually makes the ceiling for good players much higher. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with all that. You know, that's, that's all like exactly spot on. Um, and this is a conversation, you know, I've, I've had with, you know, a few of my closest poker friends for, for years, like specifically finding the four percenters is, is so hard, <laughs> you know, like everyone can like figure out how to like see bet like two thirds, you know, check back their flush draw sometimes, you know what I mean? But the 4% shit, that's like, you know, and, and I think, uh, you know, when you get deeper and deeper into the solver weeds, you can sort of see, you start to see like the difference between people who put in some work and who've really put in the work. Like totally. the difference between the two is like just so incredibly massive. And in fact, like if you put in some work against someone who's like very skilled at pattern recognition, like that could just hurt you more even, you know? I, I, I saw a hand that was like that recently and I forget where I even saw it, but it was one, one of the spots I think is hardest to fine tune is, uh, this is in heads up, but I, I'm sure this concept applies in ring as well, where we're, you're in position, you call a three bet, call a flop bet, and then you face a turn C bet. In position, depends on the board obviously, but usually a very low jam frequency there, or raise frequency. It's pretty low. Usually mm-hmm. it might be one, two, three percent. Some boards it gets a little higher, but it's usually a two, three percent. And so for simplification, when I was playing in a lot of those spots, I would just blanket call. Um, but there were some boards I would have raises. And then there are some boards that are kind of in middling territory where I, I don't know if I would have thought it was a raised board or not. They're very close. And then I saw someone raise, I, I, I'm gonna mess the board up, so it's gonna change a little bit, but it was something like it was something like queen eight, six, three. And they jammed with queen five of hearts over a turn barrel. And it was double flush draw board. And I thought, ooh, that looks spewy. And then I ran it. And the solver, oh, it likes jamming specifically queen five of hearts here. And then two other, what the hell? This guy knew that either one or two things happened. Either this guy is spewy here, which, I mean, that's definitely possible. This guy is just spewy. Or this guy recognized, okay, well, double flush draw board. I unblocked both. The five doesn't block the straight dress. You know what the other ones do. So you want to have some top pair of jams. Needs to be the one with and then you start, you start thinking about this and thinking, man, if this guy is on the level where he's able to do this 3% of the turn and recognizes this is the mergy value combo and none of the other queens are doing this, I'm I'm definitely in over my head <laughs> against this guy because this is way too sharp. And there's all kinds of spots like that in poker where if you want to truly master the craft, you need to kind of recognize, all right, this is the logic that goes into why this hand jams the turn. By the way, guys, that hand might be wrong. So don't go jamming your queen fires on the turn there. Uh, it was an example, but roughly, roughly correct. For sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree with all that. You know, like, uh, I kind of want to just go back to like where, where you first started, like, you know, with solvers, like I get asked all the time, like, what do I, what do I think about it? You know, like whatever. And yeah, of course, like if, if I could choose, like, I wish solvers were never created, you know, I think I could probably speak for both of us. Neither of us were ever as good at our craft compared to the competition than we both were pre-solver. Um, and, you know, but Hey, like that's life, <laughs> you know, like they are a thing. And I'm always just blown away by the people who just like whine about, them or really anything in life rather than sort of just accepting it and like moving forward with like, well, how best to proceed from here, you know? So 
it's like, you know, either beat them or join them basically, you know? And, uh, and so I've really, I've really challenged myself over the years to say, and I'll think of some great player, right. Who I know studies super hard. And I'll be like, fuck this guy. Like I'm going to work harder than him at this component, let alone all the other aspects of like being good at live poker. You know, it's just like, and that's like another thing I think that's kept me interested in poker and I bring this up because I suspect you can relate to this one. Um, and, and I'm wondering if this kind of played a role in your Negranu challenge where you, it's just like mono in mono, you know? And did you go into it every day with being like, I'm interested in this because I love the work. I love working. I love putting in way more time than any other humans capable of and then seeing the results of that. I'm, did, did you have some of those sort of thought processes or... Definitely. I, I love the work aspect of things. It's always been my advantage. You say before solvers, we were both great at heads up before solvers. I remember actually, do you remember playing heads up with me at the commerce in, I don't know, what was it? 2000 and I'm going to try and think of a year. 10? Okay. 9? 10? I don't remember that specifically. No, but nine or yeah. ten. I, it was something like that. We put a little. We put a little heads up session. It was just one quick, nice. one brief little session. Yeah, we, yeah. We, were, we were at the highest stakes table playing heads up, and it was the only thing. It was. It was. It was good times. So I, yeah. I remember it at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I'm big timing you here, man. It's okay. It's all right. A little. little I, I only my, remember my playing medicine. with famous poker players. My fault. Oh, <laughs> oh. What about famous content creators? Is that? Yeah. Oh no, yeah. I, I still or, or still famous training site creators, right? Like, there we go. You're, you're somehow the biggest name in all three. But anyway, there we going. go. Uh, but really, though, going back to the work element, I I knew I was going to put in just an absurd amount of hours to win because mm-hmm. I just I'm going to do everything I can to win. Right. And when I first started playing, I was I was kind of surprised how bad I had gotten after several years of not playing. You get you get pretty rusty. It, it comes back, but. I was playing a bunch of my fans at one, two, two, four. Hey, who wants to play some small stakes? Yeah, and yeah. Just, getting, just getting wrecked. I, I just dropped a quick thirty buy-ins to all my fans playing one, two, and two, four. They're just stacking me left, right, right. They make big calls. They're good. They run big bluffs. I fold. They show me the bluff. They're just yeah. grading me in the chat. I'm just getting, how humbling that must have been. Huh? Oh, oh, I man, I was getting a little worried after a couple weeks of that. Do I do? I, can I do this? And then and then it started to click, and then things started to get better, and then I started to get a little more in the solver streets and. And by the end, I was I was pretty pretty sharp, but I mean, I was still not you know top few guys, but I, I was I was getting up there. I was I was doing, doing pretty good. But the work the work aspect is that's just been my advantage is caring a lot and working hard, mm-hmm. and that's what I can bring to the table. Obviously, in this format, I have a lot of experience as well, but I think that gets a little bit over uh, over emphasized and how valuable it is, especially when I was changing the way I played so much. I played more or less only solver proved everything coming from a background which was all of my own strats throughout the whole playbook here's the right playbook learn that and there was there is some degree of experience that helps you and you know once in a while if a decision is close and then you kind of lean on your experience and you or maybe a situation arises where you don't know what the solver is it's a weird line whatever it is and then you think about okay well in 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 the past what have i seen this be and what are my thoughts on this spot and and there are a couple small things too i think early on in heads up challenges it makes sense to deviate away from optimal to to learn see what your opponent has i made some really light call downs versus uh Negron early on just to kind of set the tone of there's not going to be any bluffing here and he had it so i got stacked but uh you know just set the tone a little bit see what he had get some information about your opponent so that that, that kind of stuff can, can be valuable too um but yeah i absolutely the i like 
I actually kind of wish life was this simple. You woke up, you had your one thing, you did that job all day, and then afterwards you chilled out and you would hang with your family and you did whatever. That would be nice because one one thing that I think as you become more successful is you have to worry about so many different things. How do I manage my money? What am I investing in? You know, how am I spending my time? All these different responsibilities, all these people that work for me, all these things I need to. You you end up having so many different things on your plate that you have to be thinking about and conscious of that. The days of waking up and and really just doing the one thing that you want to do, you kind of look back on those fondly and sort of and sort of miss them. Absolutely, yeah. It was a very beautiful time in my life where the only thing that mattered to me was was again being the the best poker player you know I can be. Um, and it's yeah, I don't know. I think I've just like always very much like related to you in that way where I'm always like looking for something where I can work really really hard at each day. Uh, I don't know if that's uh, part of some sort of problematic psychological issue you and I both have, but one way or another, it of course has like a multitude of benefits as well. So I'm, I'm certainly grateful that I'm kind of wired that way. I'm starting to think that you're just the more in shape version of me. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> maybe, but you go through you I go through to- your periods where you dedicate yourself to fitness in the same way you, you do other things and just like lose crazy amounts of weight. And I mean, how fucking intoxicating is that? It's it's good, although it's all, I, I could probably use some some tips on the nutrition front and and, and maybe some workout workout regimens might be good too. Well, I got you um, after the podcast. nice. Okay, yeah. cool. It's good. It's good. I, I need that help. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's let's change gears a little bit here and talk about the. Um, it's a subject that I'm not sure you're going to have too much to put on, but it's just been been a talked about subject lately online. I want to talk about markup in tournaments and sort of the tournament scene. I know you don't really play tournaments, mm-hmm. but do you have any thoughts on a recent incident that came up online? Basically, Mike Mass, I was selling in some higher stakes tournaments uh, with a, a, a decent check of markup. I think it was 1.5x his buy-in, and Phil Helmuth was tweeted saying tweeting saying that essentially Mike is winning at that buy-in. Obviously, there was some. It was a kerfuffle and people went back and forth. Do you have any thoughts on the markup situation in poker and, and the way that it seems like maybe some of the bigger names, you know, use their name to get better deals on markup? Is that fair? Is that not fair? Do you have any thoughts right. on that? Yeah. You know, I mean, I guess my general thoughts on this is like, it's poker. Like there's no consumer protection agency for poker, you know, like, uh, you know, being sort of in the live world, like I've just heard about like the scummiest shit you know? And so like, it's, it's just like, not really like a battle that like, I think is necessarily like worth fighting for. Obviously the arguments kind of are, are played out in terms of it's a free market and this and that, but I kind of think all of the players involved are, are fine. Certainly like, I think Mike, you know, trying to overcharge, um, you know, and I'm using that word specifically because I do think he's overcharging. Uh, Mike trying to overcharge people like is is well within his right. Um, you know, Phil, I don't know. <laughs> that one's, I guess, a little more iffy. Maybe just sit this one out if you know he's not worth one five. But also, like, Phil might think he's worth one five. And if so, like, whatever, right? Um, and I also think all of the uh, keyboard warriors, like, talking shit about this, including, like, if or when good players chime in, I think that that's fine too. Uh, I think just like it's a free market and everyone should be able to speak their piece. And I actually think it's great for the potential buyers, um, you know, to have that, uh, you know, caveat, like, Hey, like uh, a lot of people are saying this isn't worth it. You know, I kind of think like all of the drama, like from each player is probably, you know, kind of fine. And when I just think about like, 
some of the way shittier things uh, like going on in our industry, this is not, it's not one that's, you know, particularly important to me. I I do feel a little bit bad when I get told about the 19th scam that happened to someone and I look at it and I think, oh, that's fucked up. But I I just don't have the energy to exhaust to try and correct every scam that happens on the internet. It sucks. I've long fought for people to protect them or to try and get people's money back or warn people. But at some point, you get so run down with the pure amount of scams that you you just could only do so much. So when you say that you've seen some really scummy shit, I have to at least follow up. What's the scummiest shit you've ever seen that you're able to share with us here today? Uh, Yeah. I don't, I don't think I could talk about like any of like the, okay, that's cool. the scummiest shit. All right, I can give you this one because this one's personal, right? And I can't give you like the names of the people. Like, I don't know. Like the last, I'll, I'll give you like the spoiler. Like, you know, they told me like if I ever like outed any of them publicly, they were definitely just going to kill me. So it seems like a bit of like a negative free roll. But I remember a long time ago uh, where like, I lose like 150 K in this game where like at that point, like 150 meant like a lot more to me. Um, and, uh, and, uh, it's in a, uh, it's in a home game. Right. Um, and it's just like nuts versus second nuts, like whatever. But like after the hand went down, I just like thought it through and was just like kind of studying their body language and like thinking it all out. Uh, and just like, it just came to me. I go, these guys fucking cheated. Like they, they set the deck, like whatever, you know? Um, and so thankfully at that time I had somewhat of uh, a voice like in the internet, you know? Um, and so like I told him, I was like, listen, like I'm outing all this shit publicly. Like if we don't have a meeting, so I meet with him and like his main business partner. And I basically like tell them their scam. I go, here's what's happening. Like you have this guy and this guy you and the DOA, like you guys all work together. These are like the fake fish, like donating money. The whole game is like a traveling scam that you guys are running. You know, I'm like, I'm like, you either pay me my money back or like I'm going public with all this shit. And they were making so much money cheating people that like they decided it was like a worthwhile investment to pay me back like the 150,000, like I had lost in that game. But it was pretty intense and like pretty scary and like all sorts of death threats from like a couple guys who were very clearly like out of their mind, you know? Um, and that was like one of the first forays I got into like sort of understanding like just how deep the scumminess can go. And also like the value of like a dollar to a lot of people, you know, like I kind of never forget like when I loan people money, this or that, which, you know, I've been burned so many times. I try to always avoid like in, in any situation, like, you know, people kill each other every day over 10 grand, you know? Um, and so I don't know, I guess that's like, just like a, a bit rambly, but I've just kind of seen it all. And I've just seen like a super dark side of, of humanity, um, you know, at times in poker, but it doesn't, it doesn't like affect me. Like it doesn't affect like my quality of life. I understand like this is a small segment of, of people in like an overall big industry filled with many great people. Uh, and, and I go home and I don't really like, I don't really worry about it. You know, like if I play poker, let's say on average five hours a week with some guy who's just a total piece of shit, you know, I don't go home and like think, and I did at one point, like when I was not liking poker, like I can't believe I spend five hours of my otherwise, like, like this life I'm so grateful for, like having to be around this awful person, you know? I don't really think about it that way anymore. I go, Oh, I get to like do the work. And here's like one 
negative, you know, side effect of the work. And then otherwise, like, this is my life, you know? So, yeah. That seems like you found a, a good balance there then. And uh, as for that guy specifically, normally when people send you death threats, it's not that serious. I'm not to, to downplay death threats. Yeah, yeah. But you know what people that want to kill you do? I'm not going to say it here on the podcast because I think, I think there's, but, yeah. but seriously, they don't, they don't, oh, you better watch out. Or I, I've just had so many of those or, or same yeah. thing with getting sued. Oh, I'm going to sue you. Oh, I'll see you in court. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I can't wait for the court date. Charlie yeah. Carroll, by the way, if you're listening, we're still waiting for the court. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, but seriously, though, you, you rarely get sued because they want you to do the thing that they want. Hey, do what I want or I'm going to hurt you. For sure. uh, and, and, and so there's sure. actually- it's a little different like when you know i was like a lot younger i won't even give like the timeline like much but it was like a decade plus ago you know so okay. i was i was very young and you have like a very scary man looking you in the eye and saying like if if you say any of this to anyone i will fucking kill you you know like just yeah, yeah. staring at you like it's it's a little different i was like a sort of like hard pill for for me to digest and it's it was good. It was good to sort of experience that kind of thing at a young age. Like, wow, what a positive spin on that. Yeah. You got no, scammed but- for 150K, and the guy says, if you say anything, I will fucking kill you. And you're like, it was a great experience to grow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, like, but no, it really was, like, because, you know, like, I'm not going to hurt a fly, you know, like, irrelevant of like my exterior exper- uh, uh, appearance. Like, so it was like, it was just like a, a real, like, Make sure like you always are like you conduct yourself in the right way because some people are not fucking playing, Gary. You know, so that's a good lesson to learn, uh, especially when you when you know the person more specifically. But we, we won't go down that that road yeah. any further. Um, but yeah, going back to just talking about the poker industry, it's very it's very polarizing because poker is a a beacon of light that seems to attract some of the most intelligent people towards pure. The, the the purity of the game and the problem solving and the critical thinking and the intellectual aspects of it. And then it also at- attracts all the scumbags because there's just money and angles, uh, angles galore and all these different ways you can rip people off. Sure. So you definitely have to keep your guard up when you're playing poker or you're involved in poker. I learned that early. I think a lot of people learn that early, but then you get to a point where no, you're just not getting money out. I'm just not going to loan people money. I, I I'm, I really, I don't think I've ever even loaned someone money. I think when I got scammed, it was mainly in ways where it was a trade that was supposed to be a trade. It ended up being me getting scammed or uh, a couple of other things that, that happened in, in my life. Um, playing on a site that went under, that that happened. That happens. So, but loans specifically, it's just too unlikely you're going to get paid back. And the question always has to be asked, why do you need the loan? Right. If someone said, I need a loan, they're a close friend, here's the situation, then... And the situation made sense. I say, okay, that, that, then maybe I would do it. But if it's just, I'm kind of down on my luck. Uh, it's not. It's not a good place to be for loans. For sure. Yeah. It's you know, it, it, I like most things. It's a little more complicated than that. But definitely for the overwhelming majority of people viewing, like if you just have a hard, like I don't loan ever under any circumstance. That's pretty good. Pretty good outcome. Pretty pretty good sort of solution to to that potential. Um, you know, pretty good solution to that potential issue there. I was going to say something about, um, uh, oh, I, I wanted to sort of like, you know, pinpoint this when we talk about like all the scumbags and this and that in poker. Uh, I think that's really relevant to COVID too, because you had a lot of people, I think during COVID who became like poker entrepreneurs 
um, which in and of itself is like, okay, but there was just like a lot more shadiness that happened during COVID. And of course that happened to a large extent because instead of in person, a lot of things are happening, you know, on the internet where in general, like a lot more shadiness went down and, you know, like I, I've been offered so many uh, like opportunities to ghost and, you know, or be a part of a home game, you know, with this, uh, this sort of requirement or that. And I've just been like, so fortunate to like turn all of those down, like my whole career. Uh, And it again, kind of made me think about your career and how you've like been able to do it the right way. You know, like there are, there are some at least um, poker players who've made like many millions of dollars um, doing a lot of really shady things uh, both in the home game scene and the online poker scene. Um, and I think, you know, going back to sort of like why a lot of people I think gravitate towards you and I, like it's very clear, like we've just done the work and like our work is super public and, you know, it, it sort of speaks for yourself. Like you can't build the the content creation following, you know, you did by, by running scam home games, you know? And so I've always like really admired that, uh, about you and i think i think just in general like if you can rise to the very top of an industry especially poker and like look at yourself in the mirror at night and say like i feel good about like who i am i feel good about how i conduct myself like on an ethical level i mean that's winning in a way that you know 50 million is is never going to give you you know totally agree and and i think you can really tell people's intentions pretty easily obviously some people are going to be very deceptive and and can make their way in the world deceiving people for for ill-gotten gains but i think that for both of us and and i'll say a lot of the other guys at at the top of poker they're good people and you can kind of tell just based off of interacting with them based off of what you see them say the 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 interviews that they do or when they win a tournament they talk about it or if they put up content online or whatever they tweet you can tell that most of the guys they manage to get at the top are good people because you you have to just be really sharp to to make it to i mean some combination of sharp and hardworking, good at critical thinking basically good at this game and to be good at this game normally you're going to be coming from more intellectual side of things than the scammy side of things but there were lots of there are lots of examples both ways i i, I think one of the reasons i've been fortunate to not get scammed that much is that I've always had a, had a pretty good sense of character um, where I can kind of, when I, when I meet someone, I can kind of get to the bottom of who they are, what drives them and think about what's driving this person, what's driving their interaction with me. Why are they telling me that they know Rick Ross? You know, that person ended up trying to scam me. The, the point is that when you know people, when you meet people, you can think about what's their, what are their motivating factors and then use that as your, as your benchmark for how far you should trust them. And I always took the guys that, I, I trusted and I knew they were good people and, and they would work hard and and be a part of the team over the guys that were the hot shots or the new, the bigger name people, or they had success in the past or whatever. I wanted, I wanted the guys that, um, you know, were ready to work hard and were good people. I mean, a lot of the guys I've talked about here on the podcast before, but guys like Jason Les, guys like, uh, Donger Kim, uh, Jimmy Chow, um, you know, Jason Mo, Ryan Fee, guys like that. Um, the last two, maybe not quite as nice of guys as the first three. But anyway, the point is, uh, I, I always tried to find the people that I knew I could trust and work with them over the people that, you know, might be 
potentially more promising or maybe have better upside or or had had prior success than um you know kind of, i'd kind of pick the people that, that i could trust to work with because in poker if you can't trust people that's it it's over there's so many spots you can get scammed you can get they can steal money they can fake results of your if you're staking them they could set you up there's just a million ways things can go wrong you have to have that level of trust in order to get anywhere for sure yeah i mean it's, it's a quality of life issue too you know i've heard you speak on this enough and it's definitely i think to a very large extent we share similar thoughts on like um like earning more money is like you know like not in the top several goals for like either of us anymore uh and it's like when you think about who you want to work with it's like if you're if someone is best for your business but you have to spend 10 hours a week interacting with someone who just like is just kind of like a, a scummy guy like if you don't need the money like i just don't see how that could be worth it you know? why are you playing live poker then well i think in the games i play like it's almost universally you know really good people i, I think that that is yet another very fortunate benefit to what my work looks like but almost no other live poker player when I like see the lineup construction for almost every game I play in, like it's almost always like universally really great, kind, like enjoyable people to be around, you know, people that in almost all cases aren't professional poker players have had success in other areas. Um, and, and have in many cases kind of done a lot of the work I've done to, to find meaning out of outside of earning. Now, of course, are there people that, don't fit that bill that have made a fuck ton of money. And it's still obvious their only goal is making more. Yeah. But I mean, I wouldn't trade sort of the average quality of person in my game for like, you know, any game in the country, you know, I, I think I, I was, game it's, it's different. I was mainly teasing you. Cause earlier you said that if you have to, if I have to spend five hours, yeah, 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 yeah. I, so I was just calling back to that. Oh, no, I wasn't, then, I wasn't no, really there, trying there to are exceptions, you know, there, there is, you know, there are like, you know, a guy or two like that. I, you know, occasionally play poker with where I go, this is, this isn't the most savory guy. You know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, it's not, you know, it's not perfect <laughs> as, as much as, uh, it feels like the world just caters to, to my interests. I can't just expect everyone I play in a poker game with to both be a recreational and a great human being. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a little bit too much to ask. Right. I do agree with the sentiment that in some of the higher stakes games, it tends to have more, at least interesting, if not more likable people. Sure. And oftentimes, the people that are playing with a hundred grand in front of them care less about that hundred grand than when you play two five and someone has four hundred in front of them. For sure. So I, I I can agree with the sentiment there. And you do hear a lot a lot of the interesting stories, and um, when you're at the table, and um, you know, it, you just kind of think about it coming from the so when you play in live poker at high stakes, it's the intersection of the people that played poker for a living and the people that are really successful at business. We know the poker path, right? We've been down that path. We know what it is. I have no clue about the business path. I mean, I've done my own small projects, but not to a level where I've made tens or hundreds of millions of dollars off business or billions off of, of business ventures. So getting to hear the, the stories of some of those people, it can be fascinating and it's cool getting to, to, you know, hear what those guys have to say. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, I, that line is definitely super blurred, you know, and this isn't even like a Switzerland comment. Like, like, I mean it like, yeah, you have people who are recreational players, like technically in that, like they didn't earn, you know, their first million or several million playing poker. Sure. But like, you know, a lot of these people are super smart, super competitive. 
And like, especially when they start playing on stream and they see themselves getting owned in certain spots, et cetera, they work super, super hard, you know, to where like definitely some of the quote unquote recreational players I play with, like are much better than like many of the mediocre pros I play with, you know? And, and part of that comes from like, like you said, like their ability to like close their eyes and throw a hundred K in there on a bluff where like, you know, a mediocre pro doesn't have that in, in his arsenal, you know? Definitely not. Do you have any hands that you can recall that you've played on stream where people really owned you? Because I feel every Garrett hand I see, it's you're just just destroying someone's life. And and then and then where are the hands? Where are the, there's got to be some the other hands, right? Yeah, so there is. I would say um, there's a lot of them. Um, but yeah, a lot of them, like a lot of my like getting owned hands, like come from like people taking a line uh, I didn't think they were likely to take. Um, and then, uh, and then me just like putting the chips in and them calling me down. Like there was one hand against Andy. I remember we had like a four bet pot where he had aces and I think I had ace queen of clubs and like he checked the flop in a spot where I, I really didn't expect him to. And so I just put the rest of the money in on the turn in river. Uh, and, and he called me. So that happens quite a lot, but there was a period kind of early on when I was playing on live at the bike. Uh, where like people just ran like sick bluffs against me, like several weeks in a row as part of like, I think it was like a half million or million dollar downswing. I went on, uh, one of them, you know, was that one hand with art where he had ace King versus my Kings. And then I remember I played a hand like later on, like versus Gary, where I ended up folding a set in a spot where, uh, like, and the river, like, completed the flush where I didn't think, like, he had any offsuit, like, ace-x hand, so, like, he didn't even have the blocker, uh, because, like, the, the turn, I think, even went multi-way, uh, and just got super owned there, um, and so, so there's been several, but I bring this up, uh, mostly to just, like, I remember being in that moment, like, especially after the Gary one, where it just felt like everything went wrong for me for, like, months straight and then to just be bluffed again you're just like it doesn't matter who you are you know we already talked about how i have a lot of belief sort of in my decision making at the table i remember i like went home that day and i'm just like i think this is it man like i don't think you got it anymore like how many fucking times are you gonna get bitch slapped by like good players in a row you know um and and you well know this doug but like sometimes like that's just the deck like the deck just forces you to get fucking owned you know and 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 like you said like there's a real peace in just being like well i know what the correct decision theoretically is here i'm gonna do it and then and then that's that it's so much easier emotionally to get over that not being the the correct decision in terms of winning or losing the hand right but like when you're also incorporating a whole bunch of other variables that like are infinitely less proven and are just kind of like loose thoughts in my head oh man, it's really easy to just like be like, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Like you're a joke, you know? No matter how good you are, you're always one bad run away from being totally humbled. No matter how good you are. I, I, cause in my, in my career, I had lots of great winning streaks, obviously, cause I, I won a lot of money, mainly winning streaks. But then I would have the occasional 30 or 40 buying downer and heads up. I want to say I had a 50 buying downer along the way at some point where you just you just question can i do basic things right am i able to just play a normal hand and win a stack when i get aces oh god what's gonna happen now whenever i have a close call it's if i call they have it if i fold they're probably bluffing 
I, I you just start to feel you move down in stakes. You get wrecked there. I, I mean, you're always one bad run away from from really having to to question some things, and and it, there is a healthiness to that, right? Because if you never had that, well, if you never had that reality check, then it would be a pretty sweet career. You you would be Mike Possible, basically. But the the reality check aspect of that, I think it it keeps you a little more grounded, and it makes you have realize you're going to have to keep working hard and and keep your focus up, and it also makes you appreciate the good times more when you do have those those downturns where. It feels like you can't get out of it and you've lost touch because, you know, if you're a good player, eventually you are going to get out of it. You're going to find your way back. For sure. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's, I think that's a hard skill to find. And definitely when I've worked, you know, super hard in like, there are times when I'm playing poker, I'll go through runs and vice versa. But, you know, first to just talk about like in live poker, you know, like I don't get the opportunity to play poker every day. You know, it's like, on average, a couple times a week, I'm very fortunate to get into a great game. Well, you know, you can, you play so few hands, like it's super easy to have like a six month period where like you lose a huge number and you're like losing three out of four, four out of five sessions over six months. It just like time goes so slow in live poker. So it's just so fucking devastating sometimes. Um, Especially, you know, when we're talking about, you know, some really big numbers, but the opposite is also true. There's times where I'll play poker and like, I'll just come home, you know, and gentlemen be like, how'd it go? And I'll be like, I don't even know what's happening. Like, I can't lose a hand. <laughs> like every time I enter the pot, I have a set or better. <laughs> like it's fucking insane. And if you're not, like, if you can't feel good about that, if you can't recognize that and just go, when it rains, it pours and vice versa. Like, I think you're really going to struggle from like a quality of life perspective. And I mean, that's to your point earlier where you said like, when you were running well, you didn't care. And when you were running bad, like it was just miserable. Uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's probably time to get the fuck out at that point. <laughs> I, I had a hand at Live the Bike where I raised Berkey on A77 with 9-8. Yeah, yeah. And, I, I remember it. Yeah, you and, running nines. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, you're ruining my story here. Yeah, I fucked uh, it up. I fought. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. But, you yeah. know, so basically I raised the flop with the with the basically backdoor draws. He calls turn a nine eight or a nine i forget which one i yeah, must yeah, a nine. Yeah. checks i'm blasting away blast turn he calls over nine. Oh, oh a little a little backdoor top a little backdoor boat here for me and then he ended up calling me down with ace queen and you know you have, you have moments like that you have to really really enjoy and savor especially when it's against berkey mm. yeah that was especially a pretty grimy berkey. hand i don't i'll never forget that <laughs> yeah i've already like said this like publicly anyway like like i really like matt like very good guy but like, if I can pick one video ever made about poker, like in the history of poker that I thought was the single funniest one, it was the one where you just like roasted him after where like the flames kept coming up and you kept repeating him being like, you're in my playground now. You know the video I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's like the fucking single funniest video on any topic I've ever seen in my entire life. And like, poor Matt like got the brunt of it, you know? But it was it, like, it wasn't even like about him. It was just like, the best ownage like I've ever seen, you know, and before like you and I like were friendly or whatever, like I watched that and I go, okay, note to self, do not ever piss Doug Polk off because he will fucking destroy you. I, I, I've, I've cooled off a little bit as, as I've gotten a little, a little bit, but I, I mean, you know, if you, if you take, there are certain people, especially if you take shots where yeah. you, you got it's just part of the game. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's part no, of the game. It's all again, and I respect you so much for for again being the anti Switzerland. You know, in in this way, like, um, 
I'm just like, and it took me a while over my life to learn it, but I'm like really allergic to conflict and like really allergic to people not liking me, um, which has some benefits, but like plenty of problems as well, you know? So I, as hilarious as you are, like I could, I could never, you know, do any of that stuff, but fuck, do I, do I enjoy being uh, just a viewer watching it? It's, 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 yeah, uh, you don't you don't have to deal with the repercussions. Exactly. It's, exactly. It's, it's it's like you're watching someone else do something that's gonna like a bomb's gonna go off and everyone yeah. it's gonna cause some commotion yeah. and you just get to watch on the side. Wonder what's gonna go on down here, right? You just get yeah. to kind of watch on the side. I mean, I, I've always gained a lot from being polarized, polarizing, and right. being willing to speak my mind and being aggressive and and, and going after people in spots, especially when they when they did fucked up stuff. But but also yeah. just for the lulls, little mix of, of both. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's trade-offs. I, I, I take a lot of heat. Um, luckily, I, I, I really don't care what yeah. people online have to say about me, and I'm fine with that. So if people want to grill me or insult me or hate on my tank tops, I, I rock every day. Yeah. Uh, have at it. Uh, I, you're welcome in the chat. You're welcome to downvote my videos. Glad to have you here. I'm still <laughs> going to just kind of be myself, you know? Um, sure, yeah. yeah. Also, like, it's poker. Super- Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say one more thing. Poker it just has some really hilarious characters that have managed to make it to the top echelon yeah. oh, that yeah. just wouldn't happen in other industries where you get, you know, the real store brand version of whatever person should be there is the guy that's there. Uh, and so you just get some really great opportunities to make fun of people. Yeah, for um, sure. For sure. Like, I think Matt would even, like, agree. Like, when he was, like, quoted as saying, like, you're in my playground now, like... I'm sure he's like regretful of saying that. And like, yeah, you're just like asking, you're just asking for, you know, like, uh, for like a comeback, you know, I used to like, not publicly, but like, just like with my close friends and stuff, like I used to be like a lot meaner of a person and coincidentally, like a lot funnier of a person. Like, I think, I think the two things really go hand in hand. Uh, and I and like, you know, in my teens and twenties, like I was a really funny guy, but like, I really like, hurt a lot of people's feelings like along the way, you know? And so it's interesting, but I mean, humor is just, it's just so incredible. It's just so powerful and it's so hard to do well. Like I would never uh, accuse myself of being like a funny person. And so when people are like legitimately funny, I, I think it's like, it's such an incredible gift uh, that I'm always like uh, very in awe of it. It, I, I enjoy the lulls, man. At, at the end of the day, that's the best part. The best part is when you can put it, My favorite part of content is when I have a video and I'm excited about it. I know there's a really funny bit or two and I had some ideas for jokes. They came out well. We're posting the video. I love that. It, it's just knowing that people are laughing. I think that's actually what makes me feel the best in my job is getting people to laugh. Really. I think number one best feeling is putting out content that people people enjoy it, uh, and, and, and can laugh at. Uh, and even whether it's at me or... I mean, I, I'm totally down with funny stuff, making fun of me. Yeah. You know, I mean, Berkey, Berkey made a response to that video. I thought that was excellent. Where, I thought, oh, I thought his response was really well done. I thought it was, it was really well funny. done. And it was like super self-aware and self-deprecating. And I thought it was excellent. And I was, it was like, really happy and proud of him for doing it that way. Yeah, it, it was really good. He couldn't get out of bed. His friends were talking about him. <laughs> yeah. It was almost interview style with the friends interviewing, talking yeah. about him and yeah, can't yeah, walk. Yeah. And it just, it, it was, he, he did, he did a great response there too. So uh, you know, I, I, I love that stuff. And, and, uh, that sometimes sure. you get, the, you get the Bryn Kenny's though, where they just, just pipe off for what I, I don't even understand what that was about. I, I just yeah. was, was sort of trolling him and he just doesn't understand that I was joking around or something. I don't, I don't know. That was ridiculous. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know anything about it, but I did think it was some of the most hilarious ownage I've ever seen on the internet. Every response of yours somehow was better than the one before. And each time you would like say happy Father's Day in a different way. Like when you talk about like bringing joy to people, bro, like I have so many fucking moments over the past, like however long you've been doing content where I'll watch something and then immediately send it to like my three best poker friends. And then we'll just watch it and just be on the floor dying for like 30 minutes. Like you've brought like a lot of joy to people's lives through that. And like, I'm speaking through experience. Like I've laughed so many times, like watching your content. And like, again, sometimes it's like, it's probably like enough is enough with the ass kicking, but like ass kissing, but like, it's like, how is this guy also the best poker player? Like what the fuck? Well, I, I, I do very much appreciate the comments, man. And uh, I, Definitely not the best poker player anymore. That's for sure. Yeah, you know um, what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I know what you mean. Uh, the 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 Bryn thing though, I just I was in bed to because it was early Pacific time. I, was, I think it was in Cabo during it. Yeah, and he just would respond, and I would just start crying, laughing. I would be in <laughs> tears yeah. typing up my responses. I press yeah. ten. I'd be laughing at my response, and then yeah. he'd respond. I'd read it. I'd I'd start crying <laughs> up again. Yeah. I I I I almost cried myself to death in my bed that day yeah. in tears. While and then I got started busting out the memes. Yeah. People were people were asking who's on Doug's payroll with these memes. I was just on my phone using self-generated memes and then posting them to, to respond to him. <laughs> yeah. The clown meme was just the peak. That was so unbelievably hilarious yeah. that someone tells me they want to bet me on who has a better existence of life or li- living a better existence. Right, right. But then, but then, but then, I, and I offer something. Else. Oh, I don't have time for that. <laughs> oh my it's god, too, dude! All of it's like it's just it all so too good. pure, man. Yeah, for sure. So what? What? So what's on the horizon here? Then obviously you're getting married. Do you have any any poker stuff coming up in the next few months? You don't do World Series of Poker stuff, right? You know, so I might play the main event. Um, a lot of years I do, but this year I'm like, eh. Like if the prize pool's like cut in half, I'm not sure. Like I care. I'm not so interested in like traveling for poker. Like I do agree, there's nothing like the main event, like you said, but like, eh. So we'll see. Maybe for that. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I guess it's. Um, I don't want to be too specific about this um, so as not to put any pressure on my fiance, but let's put it this way. It's not like a matter of years before her and I start um, trying to, to have a baby. And I'm just, I'm just like so excited for that next chapter in my life. Um, there was a period in my life where I was unsure if I wanted a child to where I'm at now, where I want a child more than anything in the fucking world, like not even close. And so I'm just really excited for sort of that, you know, next chapter in my life. And and I think, yeah, I I think that that's sort of it Uh, from a poker standpoint, you know, it's like both streams are, are like running seemingly like multiple high stakes games, like a week right now. So I'm kind of like picking and choosing like which games I want to play, like how many days a week I want to play. Like it's, it's kind of overwhelming uh, the amount of action right now. It's more than I, I can handle. And so, you know, that's great. I'm really fortunate. and But I think poker is really fortunate. You know, I think poker is super fortunate to be having whatever it is, three, four, five, you know, games with a 50 or $100 big, $100 big blind plus going on every week. You know, like if you wanted to, you could just watch like, you know, like a full-time job's worth of high stakes content coming out of LA alone a week. And so I think the poker community as a whole, um, you know, they, they really win through that. Um, and, 
you know, yeah, I, I'm having a lot of fun with it too. I, I still kind of think that I will kind of fall down your path sooner rather than later in terms of, you know, losing interest in the game and wanting to focus more on my future family and whatever. But for now, I, I still love it. And so I'm, you know, I'm still hopping in there. All right, I'll jot you down. Upswing Poker Course uh, 2025. <laughs> yeah, make yeah. A little note here. There you go. Set, oh, a, yeah. set a reminder. Take the canoe approach, like wait till he retires and then just bust out with something sick. Yeah. That's basically exactly what I did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There, there's a list of people that I'm just always, please. Yeah. The just world give it needs up, this. The world needs this. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I, I want to say thank you for coming on today. And do you have anything that you want to promote? I, I You don't strike me as a guy that's promoting very much, but do you have anything that you want to promote here before we call it a day? Yeah. No, n- not. Uh, not at all. <laughs> People always ask me like, why do you even like ever, you know, I'll do a podcast like once a year. What do you do it? You don't, you don't have anything to promote, you know? And I'm like, well, yeah, you make a good point. <laughs> maybe, you're, I, maybe I should start uh, selling something here, but I uh, haven't gotten around to it yet. You're, you're like a reverse Phil Helmuth. Ex- I, honestly, <laughs> in so many ways, I am kind of the anti Phil Helmuth, which is maybe a bad thing for me too, you know? Uh, the, the guy's obviously wildly successful in in many different ways but uh you know i guess if people want to follow me on twitter you know it's g man poker uh, otherwise that's about all i got all right well thank you very much for joining it joining us today that's going to be it here on this episode of the doug Polk podcast hope you guys enjoyed our talk with garrett we're going to be back next week with brian pellegrino should be a phone we're gonna be talking some crypto stuff he also did a little commentary on the upswing poker channel for the challenge so i'm sure he'll have some thoughts there as well Should be a fun one. Looking forward to having him on. That's going to be it from us, guys. See you later.